Hello, I'm Samira Ahmed. I am chairing this series of London talks. I don't know if some of you come to the ones before, but the idea is just to have always some interesting speakers and a range of ideas. And I'm really conscious of just what kind of an audience always comes to these events. So one which is very aware and very sophisticated. So all our, our um, panellists have been picked with that in mind. Um, if you've read the, um, the sort of blurb for the event, because it's quite hard to work out how to describe it here. I suppose it feels like we're in this really interesting time when often whether we're debating political issues like assisted dying or um, talking about the role of you know, freedom of speech and, and Islam in society, it can sometimes feel we get into this entrenched position between um, those who believe in God and, and those who think that all religion is nonsense. And sometimes it can feel that that argument is deadlocked. I'm going to take up my earring, which is tapping. <laughs> I wondered what it was. I thought it was maybe a sign from the other world. <laughs> um, Not in here. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare. Wait for the so, lightning strike. <laughs> so I suppose that's the starting point. So I'll briefly introduce our panel, but I think I'll get them very much to tell us a bit about themselves. So I'm going to start with on my left is, left is Francesca um, Stavrakopoulou, who I first met on Sunday Morning Live. Yeah. Breath of fresh air. A professor of Hebrew Bible and Ancient Religion in the University of Exeter's Department of Theology and Religion. Giles Fraser, who's currently the parish priest at St. Mary's Newington, but um, of course hit the headlines first um, as canon at St. Paul's and the principal stand you made um, about the Occupy camp there um, when you resigned. And of course, often on the moral maze and thought for the day. But I once gave you an idea for thought for the day. Did you? Yeah. Did I use it? Yeah, you did. Well, you didn't, you didn't, I didn't give it to you, you just took it and I heard it. <laughs> and you went, oh yeah, I nicked it. <laughs> um, and Adam Rutherford, um, who's a geneticist. The book that you wrote was called Creation, am I right? Yes, I thought I'd go for a really humble, subtle title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was very good because you could read it, you read it from two yeah, ends. and I believe it's available at the back. There you go. And but all, I think all your books are, are available here. So maybe, will you sign them afterwards as well? Mine are all signed already. Are they less I got afterwards. here a bit before very the other well guys. <laughs> there you go. But of course you um, present Inside Science on Radio 4. And in fact, what are you talking about creationism today? I didn't catch it. I caught the end of it. We uh, no, we're, gonna, we're actually going to do a creationism special on the 12th of February, which is Darwin Day. Um, and that's it's a subject that I've tried to avoid because I actually don't find it that interesting. Um, but there's a very good speaker who's in town to give the Darwin Day lecture for the, for the British Humanist Association, um, which I presume many of you will be going to, called Eugenie Scott. She's in town. We're interviewing her um, because she's... Uh, probably the best person on earth to talk about it as a subject. Okay. So a couple of things before we start. And the idea is that we have a conversation up here. It's been portrayed as some kind of fight. I like to think of it as WWF, sort of Jacob and the Angel style. Um, <laughs> and there is a hashtag, London Thinks, if you want to share your thoughts and share them with the world. The f there is free Wi-Fi. It's the, the Conway Hall network. And I'm assuming there's no password needed. You can just check it. <coughs> and some hacker can steal all your stuff. Yeah? No, there is no password, no. And obviously books are on sale after. There'll be time for your questions. So I want to start by asking each of you just... I mean, this is my view, that it feels like there is an off, often a kind of um, secularists versus religion kind of reductionist attitude to a lot of issues when they're debated in the public arena. And assisted dying is, a, is an obvious example because it's often felt like there's a deadlock over arguments. I wonder if each of you ever thought about the sense of religion v secularism, or particularly maybe atheism maybe, in the way that society is thinking right now. I, I think that 
I have a real problem. I mean, I'm an atheist, and I have no issue in calling myself an atheist. I do have an issue when people assume I'm a new atheist, uh, which is this label that's been um, used recently to describe uh, Dawkins and his particular brand of atheism. I, I think the, my problem with Dawkins is that he pitches a battle between religion and science that I think illustrates the fact that he completely misunderstands what religion is. Um, he thinks that they are directly butting against one another. I don't see it that way at all. I think he completely misunderstands what religion is. I think he understands what... Um, I, I think he understands a huge amount about the sociality of human beings and what it is to be a human, and whether that's because he's uh, looking for fame or... Uh, doesn't really understand sociality. I'm really trying hard not to be offensive. Um, but I... It won't last long. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that actually the caricaturing of science versus religion in the media isn't necessarily representative of what I think are more nuanced positions within both atheism and scientific, rationalist, uh, the medicalised view of the world. Giles. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you talked about science, and we hadn't... I mean, the question was about atheism, and it's interesting that mm. those two get elided, isn't it? Because, um, look, there are many, many different forms of atheism. And one, I, one of the problems, and I completely agree with you at the moment, is it seems to be that the rich and diverse tradition of atheism uh, has been taken over by a partic very particular sort of atheism. Um, which actually I think is less interesting than many of its, its distinguished predecessors. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's lots of ways of, of... Can you just explain what, what kind of atheism you think that is? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a particular sort of atheism at the moment which is um, prominent, which thinks that the most important thing to say about religion is simply that it's not true, or that the... Uh, term, uh, the word God refers to nothing. Now, actually, there's many different ways of uh, having a go at religion. So, for instance, my PhD was on Nietzsche. Um, I think Nietzsche couldn't care less about whether God exists. Um, Nietzsche actually thinks that the whole God idea is wicked, evil, nasty. Even, even if God exists, then he would still want to call himself an atheist. Um, I was with Martin Rosen having a curry, you know, the cartoonist for The Guardian, who's, uh, I think, on the uh, British Humanist Association uh, uh, board. And we were having a curry in the East End, and he said to me, if God walked in the door now and said, da-da, I'm God, this is me, I'm God, I would still be an atheist. And, you know, if it was even if he existed, I wouldn't, I wouldn't follow him. I would still say no now, that's, that's, that, that actually shows there's a really diverse tradition of opposition, hostility to theism. And I think that tradition has been sort of collapsed into a boo-hurrah about science and religion, which now we have this sort of trench warfare, which I think is fundamentally uninteresting. Adam. Well, there's a couple of... There's, there's many things to say about what both of you have said there, but there's... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stand and defend what you've described as being new atheism. Um, <clears throat> it's certainly a new vocalisation of something that many people clearly believe. Is there a false dichotomy? P 
quite possibly, but you have to recognize that where this conversation has started, at least in this country, at least in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, has been where religion and science have directly opposed each other. And so my stance on this is basically, I really don't care what you believe in until you step on my turf. Right? And if, if so, so I've said already that we're not going to, you know, I'm not that interested in talking about creationism, but that is where, for many people who, um, who uh, use science or, or respect science as being um, a way of knowing which is better than other ways of knowing, um, then if you come to me and say something that's much less nuanced than what you have just said, Vicar, which is that the Bible is true. You get true. one cheap shot, that's it. You've had your cheap <laughs> shot. I'd prefer to think of it as value for money. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if you're going to come to me and say that, that, that the account of Genesis is, is literally true and, and evolution is incorrect, then you've got a fight on your hands. If you're going to come to me and say the soul enters um, a cell at conception uh, or at 40 days, as it had been for most of... Uh, for history until the 20th century, then we have a problem. Now, it, at that point, I find it difficult not to say, I'm not going to stand up in front of you, I'm not, I'm not going to not stand up in front of you and say, we've got a system for, te for testing what you've just said, and what you've just said is nonsense. For the most part, I don't think the majority of atheists uh, are actually particularly interested in... in what you've described as new atheism, I think we're just sort of just like most Christians, sort of just background people who, who don't really think about this stuff most of the time at all. Can I ask him a question about yeah, his 15 do, can years? I, can I just, do you want a pencil? I really, Giles I need... has turned up without a pen <laughs> or paper. So if there's a, and someone here who wouldn't mind helping out with a pen, I'm, I'll let him have some of my paper. He wants to make some notes. Sorry. Have you got one in the front row? Does anyone else want a pen? No. What, what I, are you going to be doing? Like doodling or something? I need a pen. I need a pencil. It's not the first time this has happened, is it, Fraser? No. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, that's so like helpful. Like to apologise to. Well, perhaps you would like to apologise to everybody here for the. Anyway, sorry. Um, Giles, did you want to pick up on something then? Well, only one thing, and this is going to. So we. I've we, got a two things actually that I'd like to pick up. So on. we'll have a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you no, to, you go. You, you go. go first. <laughs> So, do you know, sometimes the throwaway things, I'm going to really offend people, but we might as well get into it straight away. Um, sometimes the throwaway things become the most significant. New atheism, you said, is roughly 15 years old. Okay. What is the big event that happened roughly 15 years ago? 9-11. Okay. okay. So, one of the things... <laughs> One of the things that is often said <laughs> is that, uh, that a new atheism is a post-9-11 phenomena, which is why a number of people think that it is actually a sort of very subtle code for Islamophobia. Okay, so no, no, that's what it, we, let's, let's get it on the table to start with, even if it's not true. Well, I'm, to be I, fair, Dawkins isn't actually that subtle about his Islamophobia, is he? No. <laughs> and I think... Well, we're going to end up arguing about definitions here. Because no. I, don't, I don't know what new atheism is. <coughs> right. You're the how one that came up with 15 years. I didn't say that. Do you want to finish your point and then let Francesca have hers? Yeah, I've done. Right. I just want to put that out I'm there. just not sure that anything interesting has been said about atheism since, I don't know, in the, t in the 20th century. But that doesn't mean that there are new things, that when Dawkins writes, I don't know why we're talking about Dawkins, but if he writes The God Delusion and it sells a million copies, and that gives a voice to people who've been thinking about this stuff in the public domain, in events like this, and in the press, and whatever, if that allows people to 
um, help formulate their thoughts, then you know, all power to his elbow. I don't. I think he's. I. I, I think is is the, the way he talks about theology, and often the way that these conversations about theology and religion in the public eye, the way they're framed, are daft and ignorant. Um, but you know, th this is. This is only problematic if that's the depth or the superficiality to which you address these kind of issues. I, my, I entered being a journalist when The Guardian asked me, asked me to write about creationism, which I did, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, um, with some you know, joy and, and fervor, and I rapidly became very bored with it. Um, because I realized that as soon as you start looking into these, something, these, these sorts of subjects, there is nothing new under the sun. I don't know which book that came okay. from. That's Koheleth, Ecclesiastes. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, you I did know what book it came from. <laughs> um, I suppose I was interested by what you said about, you know, if people start treading on my turf, that's when I've yeah. got a problem. Because one of the issues I have as a researcher, as a scholarly researcher, is that and obviously I'm researching stuff about religion, primarily ancient religion, and the way in which certain ideas and ideas about what it is to be a human being, what a, to be a person, how they're conceived. And one of the big issues I have with science is that science is of, often presents itself, or scientists perhaps, often present themselves as being, having an exclusive knowledge, and, and that their knowledge is somehow better than everybody else's. I do think there are other ways beyond the medical or the scientific or the post-rational, that you can understand the world and what it is to be in the world. And I do think that sometimes, whether it's the medicalized body or um, scientific ideas about where life began, I, I, I do think, yeah, I've, I've got a huge amount of respect for them. I'm not saying that I deny the, you know, theories about DNA. I'm, obviously, I'm fully on board with that. I'm a 21st century, kind of a bit more 20th century, actually, for my sins, but, you know, 21st century woman. But I do think that there are other ways to think and express and to talk about being in the world that yeah. actually it's very, not just philosophically, so, sociologically, anthropologically, culturally. Yeah, I agree with and, all of that. And so I will step on your turf yeah, I, to sort of say you haven't got, you I know. I do understand that and I do appreciate that and I recognise that there are other ways of knowing. I do also think, and I'm not apologetic about this, I think that the scientific method is the best way of knowing. I also oh. think that... The best way of knowing God. So when Keats... Can I just ask you a question? Just, I'm just going to there. When Wordsworth... When Wordsworth looks out in the Lake District... Yeah. Okay, yeah. ...and talks about what yeah. we might have used to be call, comfortable calling creation... Okay. Yep. Now, I mean, th there is a particular... Now, what would it be to say that um, his way of knowing is worse than or better than your particular account of what you see when you look at the... I don't understand what it means when you say it's better well, than... Well, I, I do. OK, well, then, then let me explain it. So, so the, there is objective truth in the universe, right? Do we accept that? No, no, I don't like the word truth at all. OK. There Nor is actually the word objective. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, <laughs> other than those two things, yeah, you accept my premise. Yeah, I completely agree with you now. Yeah. <laughs> fine, there's certain fine. fields where, where right. you'd agree it does apply. Do you accept that there is a reality? I accept that there are certain things that are rendered most plausible within certain contexts. Now, I'm not denying, so that I'm not some kind of weirdo. <laughs> Apologies to any weirdos in the audience. <laughs> but Welcome to Conway. <laughs> I accept that my reality, my experience of reality, is probably has a huge amount, if not, you know, it's 99% in common with your perception of reality. Yeah. Although, just to, as a little PS to that, you just, make me call, you just made me call out to God just now. <laughs> oh, God, I said when you said that 
science is the best truth, is, is the best knowledge. Well, I come from a position which is a materialist position. I do not see any reason uh, to ever consider that there is anything <coughs> other than what exists in the universe. Right? But what you do... Supernature is, so, is, is, is not a thing. What? What does that mean? Supernature. Things that are not in the universe. Okay. So when, so when Wordsworth is talking about a daffodil, yes. is that supernature? No, because daffodils are flowers so, that exist. I, no, so I'm, I was expecting so a higher I, level of debate. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So, so what he's doing about daffodils, okay, when he's yeah. talking about daffodils, yeah. okay, you will say that that's perfectly legitimate for him to talk about daffodils, but somehow you talk about daffodils no. in a way that's superior to him. I think, just, just to kind of move it on a bit, I don't think we're in a conversation about whether, you know, scientists can't read poetry or anything, and a lot of beautiful science writing shares a lot. I mean, I think of Carl Sagan's writing. No, but he, says about it's, he says it's the best yes. way the most important, the top way of describing things. And I want to say, here is an order of description, which is not a scientific way of describing the world, and I'm trying to work out how it is that he thinks that the scientific way of describing a daffodil is somehow better than Wordsworth's way of describing Perhaps a daffodil. Perhaps better is not the right yeah, word. You used it. Okay, I, no, but I, he's just saying I, it's not the right word. Okay. Well, okay, so, so it might not... You've got a valid point somewhere hiding within that daffodil. <laughs> um, and and it, it, while, you know, as a materialist, as a physicalist, as someone who doesn't believe in supernature, who doesn't find, I don't, I don't want to use the word, uh, believe, um, there are, um, I, I, it is... Well, can I give you an example that might help? In your book, and I remember this is the question I asked you when, you when I talked to you about it, you gave the example, now quite old, of geneticists had manipulated goats so that their milk would produce spiders' mm. silk. Now, I said, I found that idea instinctively creepy. Mm -hmm. And you said, but why? Mm. Now, it seems to me that that's a really interesting example of wh which illustrates this, this potential gap, where people can, for all kinds of cultural and social, ultimately genetic reasons, feel that's that might be something dangerous. It doesn't mean that one shouldn't investigate it, but they, it doesn't feel right, and maybe we have to look at whether it is or isn't. But that a scientist might say, mm. I don't see anything wrong with manipulating nature in any way at all. But an anthropologist would be able to tell you exactly why you found it creepy. Mm. And I think that's often what's missing from the whole yeah. science versus yeah, non-science. No, but I agree with that, and I agree. You know, um, I'm, I'm not saying that scientists don't find this kind of stuff creepy. I, um, I don't have a neutral view on the technologies that scientists <coughs> invent at all. Um, however, um, there, uh, yeah, no, I'm not sure, what's, what, what, is there a question Well, there? I suppose it's the idea that sometimes it can feel that the scientific line of inquiry can okay, exclude right. the emotional, the philosophical, mm. yeah, the ethical, right. the social, Okay, fine. Social. That doesn't mean that, it is, that those things are not answerable in a scientific context. That also doesn't mean that that's the most interesting way of answering them. So the trivial example that often comes up in this in this type of conversation, and neither of you have accused me of scientism yet, but um, is, you know, can we explain love, right? Now, if love is a real thing and exists in the universe, then we can explain it using a scientific context, using the scientific method. Yes, you can. Same as consciousness, same as anything which is a real phenomenon. What kind of love? Hold on a minute. Is that it doesn't matter what kind of love, because if it exists, then it has to be explainable within the scientific context. That does not mean that it's the most interesting way of describing it. Dying Conway Hall. Okay, and I, tr and I, I also... <laughs> 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 Kevin, 
better than dying in church. Um, but, I, I, you know, that, that doesn't mean... I, I'm, I'm beginning to sound like one of those boring guys that we're all four of well, us agree say it, are kind of boring. <laughs> but you're forcing me to say this kind of stuff because no, 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 you're supposing or you're suggesting that there is something supernatural above it that is inexplainable, that is not part of the, of the material I, well, world. I'm not suggesting no, that no, no, at I don't all. think anyone is. At all. <coughs> Giles might be, I'm not. I think it's the idea that it can feel that a lot of issues which are up for debate yeah. are sometimes... It's presented that there's only one way of looking at it or the other. And, and it can feel like there's a coldness. And I'll give you an example. Um, Brian Cox came to give a presentation at an event I was chairing, and he gave this wonderful presentation about all that was going on at, at CERN and how wonderful it was. And he said, I genuinely don't understand why so many people are hostile to the idea of scientists explaining things. Neither do I. Well, there is an answer, and the answer oh. is Auschwitz. And I know that sounds kind of crass, but it, it is. The idea that scientists could be used and manipulated to do something as evil. And... Scientists you know, didn't do that. So that you, was eugenics was at the heart of so much of what so, the Nazis did, and they mechanised it no, as well. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't, let, I can't let that pass. But it's part of that picture in which... It's not saying it's right that people sometimes, like the Daily Mail, launch these bizarre attacks on science, but it's part of the bigger picture of the 20th and 21st century in which science has not always been impartial and rational. It has been um, working for agendas and you know, often for quite questionable agendas. And if scientists don't see that, and sometimes it can feel as if atheists like Richard Dawkins don't see that they might have a bias or a prejudice. I That's can't, where I the can't, problem is. I can't let the Auschwitz comment um, pass without a, just a little bit of further analysis, because, you know, this is, you, you've, you've Godwined yourself there. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, the, the first thing to say is, at the time, eugenics, which was first coined in the... Um, 1890s by Francis Galton was not regarded as a negative, right? And so some of, some of the people that we regard as, as many of us here will regard as great heroes, were also great supporters of eugenics. The uh, Beveridge was one. The Beveridge Report was born out of, he, he was a eugenicist. And um, Mary Stopes is the best example that I like to give. Mary Stopes, that great champion of female reproductive rights. Mm. The reason... You know, lots of people, you know, back these I mean, she was a horror. She wrote love poetry to Hitler because the real reason she was into female reproductive rights was to quash poor Irish people, right, so that they should not be allowed to reproduce. Now, the only reason I point this out is because... First of all, you bandy around terms like eugenics, which are toxic now. They weren't historically. We have to look at those, those ideas in the cultural context in which they were, they were born. Oh, come on, man. Fuck off, Giles. Right, and this, this, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's just... Like, you can't just no, relativise eugenics. Why, why not? Why not? Eugenics was was a positive thing. This is the man that was talking about objectivity about two or three minutes ago, and suddenly you're, you're suddenly... I'm not defending eugenics. I'm not defending it. I'm defending. I'm You're defending. saying, oh, this was of its time. No, you have but to I'm, no, I'm not. What I'm saying is that Samira said that you can't. That people have hostility towards science because of eugenics and because the Holocaust. Because sometimes science has not been impartial, and science. Well, explain has been to me what the role of science was in the Holocaust. Um, coming up with efficient ways to kill people. Um, some of the spurious that's experiments a, that very, were being that, carried that out a, on people. That is a really good Primo point, Levy, have you read, I mean, he was a chemist. He wrote this amazing memoir of mm -hmm. being working in the labs. You know, science was at the heart of how the Nazis presented what they were doing. And I think that's really interesting. 
No, I don't accept that. And it's not, you know, it's is relative. Is there a point like this? Is there a point that goes something like this? Because this, um, you're on the... This is, it isn't entirely fair for you to be responsible for, for this. But is there a point like something... <laughs> I understand I'm that. not responsible for the Holocaust. Is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> well, phew. It was. But there is a point. There is a sort of a point for me. There's, this, there's a point I'd like to just see whether you think. It's mm. like... There was, there was a time, in the Middle Ages, say, mm. when theology was, as it were, top dog, and we thought we could explain everything, that religion could explain everything. And during that time, all sorts of things were awful, that were done in the name of religion was awful because we didn't have a sort of, which is very important to me, a whole sense of self-critical vigilance about our method, about our style, about what we could explain about the world. So we actually thought, you know, this is, this is Christianity, obviously it's, tr obviously it's true, and obviously it explains everything. And when you start thinking, obviously it's true, obviously it explains everything, then certain, certain terrible things can come in its wake. Now, you know, I think that one of the things that, that now... People don't believe in religion. Religion is sort of like, you know, I mean, in a gathering like this, I know that we're a sort of sophisticated audience and so forth, and science is the name of a certain sort of sophistication. This is the way in which you explain things. Science is sort of true. And, and one of the things that you, you know, I almost want to say to you as advice from the old empire to the new empire, okay, is the old empire, we thought we were right, okay? Mm. We thought everything we did was right, and we weren't right about that. And now you think you're right. And everything that you say, and you have truth and goodness on your side. And I just want to plead with you mm. from, you know, letters from the right. old empire to the new empire yeah, sure. that actually have more self-critical vigilance about your own methodology, about where your own positions yeah, are. Sure. And there's something really important about I that. I think okay. it's absolutely, it's about the privileging of certain perspectives. So, yeah. yes, in, you know, the medieval period, of course, certain things happened because it suited a certain worldview, a theological worldview. Um, particularly in Western Europe, Eastern Europe was quite different in certain ways with its Christianity, but in Western Europe particularly, certain political, social, economic policies were pursued because of Christian doctrine. But on the other hand, they were also pursued because of social, economic context, you know, and there's always, you're always going to hate the, the little people or the more powerful, you know, you're always going to use religion in order to dampen down or beat back those that you find threatening or vulnerable. Right. And I think science is the same. But I think what's happened is that, you know, one of the things that pisses me off more than anything else about this country and its politics is the privileging of Christianity in our, in our, our public spaces, in our political spaces. But I think there is a risk that science, culturally and socially, in Western Europe... Okay. And, and in the States, yeah. um, you know, has also, has now, is in that position of prioritisation and privileging. Right, well that is a problem, and that's a problem that I accept, but there are two responses that I, I need to give to that. The first is to say that, uh, I, it's, it's nice to hear you say that the religion historically has been the top dog, and perhaps attritionally over the years, and perhaps more now than ever, um, uh, a rationalist worldview has, has taken over from that. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's nice to hear you say it anyway. But the context of that is important because if you put everything, if you put knowledge a thousand years ago in a basket and that basket is mostly labelled religion, Christianity in this country or, or you know, wherever you are, the traffic from the stuff that is in that basket to the basket which is labelled stuff we know via the scientific method has only ever gone one way. 
right? Do you accept that? There has never been a piece of knowledge which has been acquired by the scientific method which has ended up being subservient to something that you knew, I did air quotes there, uh, using, using doctrinal theology. There is an example, actually. There's a really um, interesting bit in the Quran. I remember because I went around an Islamic school, which they had it on the wall, and I can't remember where it is, maybe someone who knows, but it's a quote about what um, an embryo looks like in the womb. I don't believe that. Um, you don't, well, well, you don't believe it's in the Quran. No, I believe, it's, it's, I believe it's in the Quran. It's but from I, no, but such it's, an early stage. It's, it's from the stage of days, and it is what it looks like. It's justification. It's post hoc just, justification for readings of, of, of texts where they literally have no idea what they're looking at. I, I think it's interesting culturally, there is, but there it's is, not... It's there's not, a massive like, one. There's a massive one. Can I make my second point? Okay. Uh, I can't remember what it was. What was the first one? <laughs> first one was about the process of not... Oh, yeah, the second one. There is a fundamental difference between what... Um, uh, doctrine and theology and religion is and, and what science does, because science is a process, which is that it is self-correcting, right? And, it, and we talk, we use words, we bandy around words like truth, uh, which is, you know, it's not something that that's philosophers of science should ever say, but the process of science is perpetually self-correcting. It isn't a bank of knowledge, it's a way of knowing stuff. It is where doubt is the essence of how we find stuff out. It is only ever transitionally correct. And that is the reason I say things which can be perceived as being arrogant, which is that it is the best way of knowing things, because it is always conditional. Whereas, traditionally, and I'm not saying that religion is this fixed rock, Christianity is something which has never changed for a thousand years, that's just a, a, naive, a very naive thing that, that um, anti-theists often say. Stop clicking your pen, it's really distracting. <laughs> Um, but it, I, I know that religions change and Christianity is successful in the West because it is incredibly malleable and because it adapts. But it I is still doctrinal. I don't think it's going to last long, though, to be honest, in the West. What's that? I don't think it's going to last much longer in the West. Why? Because I think this is a, a well, the Church of England in particular, I think this is a crunch point now. I, I agree. I think Christianity <coughs> has been incredibly adaptive and malleable, and I think that's the only way that religions can... Um, can, can remain relevant somehow. But I, I think, you know, I give it 500, 1,000 years, I think... Oh. Well, actually, You're I'm not going out on a ling, then, are yeah. you? Oh, well, no, no, like, even though, but it takes time, doesn't it? Have you seen how long it takes to, like, get bloody women ordained and, in, the, in like, made bishops? Like, I honestly think that this is the end of Christianity in this particular form. Well, I want to ask about that, because I want to, to sort of shift the debate into looking at, <coughs> at where society is. And it seems to be something very interesting. Well, on the one hand, you do the census, and you see that most people, uh, and a growing proportion of people every 10 years, report themselves as, as um, atheists or agnostics. Um, and I think genuinely atheists, really. But you have this very interesting growth in a particularly radical, radical forms of religion, often among the very young. So in one sense, you know, there's an obsession about what's going on with young Muslims, a lot of whom are self-radicalizing using the internet and may not, never have gone to mosques uh, with their families. Um, but also, and I want you to talk about your experience first, Francesca, with young fundamentalist Christians, um, because you've seen it among your students actually affecting your teaching in class, hasn't, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I, as an undergraduate, um, when I was at Oxford, I experienced it from the other side in the sense that a lot of the people that I was studying with were Christian of a, of a, of a variety, of a sort, but on arriving at Oxford, um, a number of them were converted to a very evangelical form of Christianity, um, but not a huge number. But, you know, I've been teaching at Exeter now for 10 years, and in that 10-year period, I've noticed how 
uh, in the majority of my undergraduates, so we offer a, a degree in theology and religion and a degree in theology and philosophy. Um, but I also teach at a liberal arts program. Um, and a huge majority of my students are evangelical Christians. And most of them have been converted to this kind of Christianity, not by means of their parents or their upbringing, but by some kind of experience when they were at school or um, particularly when they get to campus. Well, some, you was, I think I remember you saying at, at the um, World Humanist Congress in Oxford in the summer, were sponsored by American fundamentalist churches and <coughs> were spending time in class just challenging your teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's very difficult. I mean, I'm, I, it's a really weird position for me to be in because uh, I'm obviously very fond of my students and I haven't got an issue with them being evangelical Christian. They can be whatever the hell they want. Um, but I do have an issue when I, 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 you know, I, I know that some students will say, I'm really looking forward to doing Francesca's module because I'm going to take her on and I'm going to bring her down, or I'm going to convert her. It's a really or, interesting question, and I want, I want you to take this on next, Giles, and then, then Adam, because the other example I'll give is Steve Jones, the geneticist, who's spoken publicly about you know, teaching classes, and these are students who've passed the grades as scientists and are yep. studying at the university who are walking out of his genetics classes because they believe in creationism. And, and that is a new phenomenon. I was an undergraduate yes, which is my point, with which is, Steve it seems very in, recent. The, in the 90s, and it didn't happen then. This, is, this has happened since mm. 2000. Yeah, when, when I was lecturing at Oxford, I was doing the main university lectures in Hebrew Bible, what well, Oxford calls it Old Testament, but then it would. Um, but yeah, I was doing the main Hebrew Bible lectures for Oxford University, and I was blacklisted uh, by students of a certain theological college. They wouldn't attend my lectures um, because I wasn't talking about Christian interpretations of these I mean, Charles, they didn't like me very much either, I can Did tell you not? that, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, I mean, I'm interested in each of your views on what, you know, the fact that this is a growing phenomenon. Mm. You've actually got politicians worrying about it, but it's very interesting, isn't it, in an increasingly secularised and non-religious society that we are seeing this radical growth in these forms of fundamentalism among young people who've grown up in that increasingly secular Britain. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm not one, and I don't see it from the inside, but what I, I suppose the question I ask myself about what's called fundamentalisms um, is that, uh, I mean, I think the, I suppose I understand them in political terms, is that um, we live in, a, uh, in the West in a, um, a political environment in which the main political parties are all terribly samey, there's very little difference between them, there's very, uh, how do you articulate a things need to change in a dramatic way, that, that something extraordinary needs to happen for this world to be, to be set right. Now, um, one of the ways, I mean, I think this is exactly what is going on with political Islam, is that Islam becomes a vehicle for, um, uh, for a great many dispossessed people to say, um, what about us? The world needs to change. There needs to be some sense of revolution in a way that communism was before. You know, before you know, the communists, the people were not sort of ideologically committed to this. It was just a, it, it was just a way of overturning the tables. And, and, in, and in a world in which, you know, the sort of Western capitalist hegemony, um, I can understand how that happens. Do I think? I don't even think they believe it all. I mean, what, we take it too seriously, you know. If we actually think that these... This is the world in which 
This is the sort of mental world in which fundamentalism exists. But honestly, if you press it, I mean, look, people in this room know that if you press religious fundamentalism a bit, it goes to absurdity. That it's just nonsense, okay? This is for intellectual nonsense, okay? So then the question comes, well, if it's intellectual nonsense, are they just stupid or does it mean something else? But are you not does buying it, into that whole Western construct of what intellectual and, and the right kind of knowledge is by so saying that? Of course, there's another way. I completely agree. So that's another way of, that's another way of putting it. So once you've, if you start from a Western perspective, mm. from a sort of you know, uh, enlightenment scientific perspective and say it's nonsense, and then you go to your, and you say, so what is going on here? And then you might begin to come to a position where you go, actually, what these statements are about God, about Jesus, about Allah, about whatever they are, and not how we think of them in the sort of Western Enlightenment tradition, but they're doing something very different in that world. And once you start to see what they're doing, and how, I mean, this is a sort of Wittgensteinian point, but you, know, these, you understand the meaning by understanding the use, if you see that, then you're, you're having a different sort of argument. And like, I mean, arguing, in, arguing from your perspective mm. with a Muslim fundamentalist about, it's like, you, there's a category mistake. Right, but, but I, I, I agree with you, but it strikes me that you have and represent a fundamental problem with Christianity, which is that at the synod level, at the bishop level, we've got a, a bunch of super smart theologians, academics, many of whom have PhDs in various forms of under, trying to understand Christianity with a faith base that underlies it, right? Uh, and there was a survey a few years back um, when they asked, at the time there were 129 bishops in the country, and the question was asked, do you believe in the literal virgin birth? And all but two of them said, of course not, it's a metaphor. And then they asked regular churchgoers, Christian churchgoers, your flock, the same question, and the, the answer was 50%. Now, that strikes me as an unassailable uh, conflict within the the. The, the theology that you represent. If you've got a bunch of smart people having conversations like this and really wrangling with the difficult issues of what Christianity is uh, at the top level, being super academic and, and super smart and super thoughtful about these things, and you've got a bunch of people in church that you're trying to, um, I don't know what you're trying to do in church, but, but, but giving, <laughs> giving them spiritual guidance and teachings, and you're telling, and they have an entirely different view than what the top dogs have in your Shock field. horror. But People you do nothing do about what I, I, say. I don't mean you. I don't mean you. But the church doesn't seem, and, and this relates to creationism, because the church doesn't seem to have any interest in addressing the fact that there is A, a plurality of, of theology within Christianity, and B, correcting the ones who are quite clearly so at odds. Correcting bad doctrine. You sound like some sort of medieval. Well, you can't the have it both job ways. Of the job no, is to go out and correct ways. bad science. You can't science. say that, that, that you can't say that Genesis is is um, a metaphor, and allow the people that you're teaching to say that but it's. I literal. to be fair. Why I mean, not? Can I just bring it back to the original question? Well, which because was, you're a crap teacher, then. No, but but some of these people you're are not, going to regular But you're not teaching churches. people how to think. Adam, Adam. Not enforcing my view, no. No, but you're not teaching how to think at all. You're not but, giving but them I any think, critical faculties. But if we're talking about the kinds of people who are regarded as threats now and the way that their <coughs> religious beliefs are actually... We're seeing the effects in terms of terrorism. The question I suppose I'm trying to ask is, you know, because they're not members of regular churches, they're not members of regular mosques and things even. They are, they are you know, 
at a sort of different kind of cutting edge. Is the comparison about religion, or is it the comparison more about Bader-Meinhof? Well, no, well, wait, wait, it depends you know, where you draw the line. It depends where you draw the line. It's about being young and what society is not giving them that they're turning to radical depends religion. Depends on where you draw the line and what the issues are. Because if you look at so so, I, I, a few years ago, I did the Alpha course um, as a journalistic and. Um, um, just, just as a, uh, <laughs> quite possibly. I really enjoyed doing it, right? And, and you know, this is a weird thing, and I think we both agree that I, it's pretty pernicious. I, I, I'm pretty sure that you, you're not a fan of the Alpha Course. I'm not a fan. I know. However, it is a huge branch of worldwide Christianity, mm. right? It is a huge thing, a phenomenon within Christianity. And at the time, I think I'm right in saying that the only growth areas in global Christianity were Pentecostal in China and North African in London, right? Um, now, if they're adopting um, a theology which is based on the Alpha Course, which has, says some very specific things about, for example, homosexuality, about the historicity of Jesus, about um, uh, other things. <laughs> that, that other I, things? <laughs> what other How crap is that as an argument? Yeah. Well, let's just deal with the two that I can remember. <laughs> right? Other things. <laughs> I'm going to write down other things. Yes. On here. Other. other things. Right, right. We'll come to the other things in a minute. The, two, the first two were good points. Yeah. Um, now, it, you know, I, 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 when, when you talk to, again, you talk to bishops or, um, uh, you know, academic theologians, and they say, yeah, I fucking hate the Alpha Course. It's mental. But it's bums on seats in churches. Are you making the very astonishingly brilliant point that there are some people out in the world who are prejudiced and not very clever? Yeah, and they appear to be the growth... Uh, the, the, the growth sector of Christianity in the so, West. So it's just like, I mean, is this is sort of like, so we could make this into, I mean, this is, a, we could make this into a... This is the bun fight you wanted, isn't we're it? An elite, <laughs> we're an elite, clever bloke. We're an elite, clever group. Yeah. Because we've all done uh, PhDs or, you know, degrees in physics or whatever it is. And so we know the truth about things. And there are some... There, and we could sit around in here. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You did talk about the truth quite a lot before. And we can sit around in here and we can actually congratulate ourselves on how much cleverer than we are. That is people. not... That is no, absolutely. the opposite of what I was saying. And you know that because I'm not declaring that we know things better than other people. What I'm saying is we have you a better... So no, said I'm that saying earlier. we have a better method for knowing things, a self-correcting method for knowing things. But I think the Alpha things. Course is trying to imitate what the scientific method in the, in the yeah. West has been trying to exactly do. Exactly right. And I think particularly when it comes to, you know, when you cited the survey about exactly right. X percentage of, you know, percent of bishops don't believe in a literal version birth versus, you know, X, mm. you know, 50% of parishioners. It's, it's partly, you know, Christianity has kind of made a I was going to say a rod, a cross for its own back. In the, sorry. <laughs> I'm here all night. Um, no, but in the sense that Christianity, one of its biggest problems, but also one of its biggest selling points, and this is historically as well as in a contemporary sense, is that it's always tried to be intellectually uh, responsible. It's always tried to intellectualise its, its faith, its beliefs, you know, from the very point where it says, yes, this actual thing did happen, this resurrection did happen, it happened at this point, at this time, to this person, you know, here is the proof. You've got various stories, both biblical and, and non-biblical, about, you know, here is the proof. So Christianity was kind of locked then into this yeah. system by which exactly it had right. to keep engaging with intellectualized, yes, exactly right. evidence-finding, material reality of a faith. Exactly right. And that's why Alpha is so successful, because what it tries to do is to adopt scientific 
rationalism yeah. in as a means of packaging up yeah. this what I completely agree with badly. you. It does it badly. It does it badly. It does it so fundamentally yeah, bad. Yeah, it's atrocious. I mean, we were saying earlier backstage that, you know, what would it take? What would it take for you to believe in God? Even if, even if I got in the DeLorean and went back to the first century, you know, into Jerusalem and saw this corpse come sure. out of a tomb, I still would not believe that he was the son of God. I'm the and same. I still would not believe I'm the in same. a God. But you don't believe in the resurrection, do you? Yes. The physical resurrection. Yes. Jesus came back from the dead. He was yes. dead and then he came back to life. Yes. You believe that as a literal truth. That is a thing that happened. Then what happened? <laughs> you do? Yes. So you believe in the historicity of, you A, believe that Jesus existed. Hist yes. And you believe he, he died? Yes. He was killed? Yes. No, no, this is a good interview. Yes. Um, and, and that three days later, he came back to life? Yes. And then 40 days after that, he went up to heaven? That's right. You, right, be, you actually like believe that he, like, literally, the, the corpse, the, 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 you know, the, See, we have the a now problem. alive body. So I don't know what we mean by literally. So it's there in the story. Don't use the big one. I, I did the monkey cage with, um, <coughs> with Richard Coles, oh, right? And he kept saying to I me... I love to say that. Well, he's like, oh, he kept saying to me, um, but, but, I, but this truth is bigger than your truth. Richard and Coles? I, yeah, and I, I won't said, hear a word said against Richard Coles. I love Coles, him. By I the way. love him. I, I genuinely, I cuddled him quite a lot, probably too much. Okay. Um, also kind of told He's, Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, that I'd fallen in love with him, but you know, that's another story. Yeah, that was broadcast but, on the I radio. Know, I know, <laughs> My mum said, what on earth are you doing? I said, I'm sorry, mum, I'd had a glass of wine. Um, but it, he distinguishes between a certain kind of truth, and, and he pulls that, you know, for him, the ace right. up his sleeve is, right. but my truth is better than your truth. My truth is bigger than your truth. Oh, well, I, let me I, ask you something. Like, so, so I'm not, not going to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, you honestly sit, think I'm going to sit here and like, and, and sort of go, oh, well, I don't know whether it happened. Or, so I'm not engaging the same criteria But, but don't of you have to believe that it happened? What? Don't you have to believe it, it is happened? a part of my... It is an absolutely unassailable part of my worldview. It's the, it's, the, it's the background against which things make sense for me. If so, if we could... Hypothetically, if In we, the DeLorean... If I go back in the right, DeLorean... If that happened and it turned out that none of that happened, right? If, if we could... If we had... Um, really robust historical evidence that suggested that all the questions I just asked you, there was a different answer to them. Yeah, I'd still have the same answer. You'd still have the same answer. Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> but, that's, but what we're interested, that's exactly right. That's the point where we go, obviously we're talking at cross purposes in some ways here. Because nothing is going to count as evidence for the fact that I, I see the world in a different way. But and that's exactly right, because even if I saw the resurrection... In the DeLorean. Exactly I right. I still wouldn't believe that he was Exactly right. to the point you made at the start, Adam, which is, yeah, yeah. in a way, it doesn't matter, except when there's a sense of crossing the line. Well, see, this is the thing. So I'm, Into you know, territory where it affects... I'm, I'm down with Jesus' teachings, right? You know, he was a good guy. He not was, all of them. He, he was a no, bit not, of a... No, not, not the crazy apocryphal stuff go. as well. No, that's the really interesting stuff. Well, no. The, the world is going to come to an end. Right. No, it's called ripped, climate change. He ripped all of that No, it's universal heat death, and we've got loads of time. He wasn't great... <laughs> um, you see, that's why you're really dangerous, man. <laughs> I can't remember. We've got loads of, time, loads of time. time. We will be fine. Stoking their chimneys with. Yeah. We will be fine. Look, I, I, what, what, what sort of bugs me about this, and, the, and, and this is why the conflict arises, um, is that does it matter? 
you know, does it matter? If Jesus said a bunch of stuff, oh, which most, most of which, is, as I think off. Francesco will say, is ripped off from other religions yeah. and older yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, the golden rule isn't exclusive to, to Christianity. Resurrection's not exclusive the, the to Christianity. You know, all of that stuff. If Jesus is a figurehead for a bunch of people who says, uh, <clears throat> basically, don't be a dick, right? That's the central well, no, message. No, no, I think it basically says, you don't be a dick to those people, but you can be a dick to those people. Oh, oh, all right, well, let's, let, I'm, I'm trying to be positive about this. I'm trying to be positive about it. If the central message of Christianity is don't be a dick and, in, in an, in an ignoring, ignoring all the bad stuff as well, does it matter whether he existed or not? Can, can you just sit there a sec? Just sit there, just, honestly, just sit there a sec. I'm going to show you why, because I can do the argument much better than you against it. Okay, so the, the, this is the problem with the position that you, Giles Fraser, are taking. Stop, okay. point, stop poking me. The problem is <laughs> that if you actually say evidence doesn't matter for one thing and the other, you're, in a, you're a very dangerous man because you can say evidence doesn't matter for my homophobia or against it, evidence doesn't matter for my uh, persecution of women. That's, that's the problem well, with your Christianity. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that at all. You can't just do... That's whataboutery. You you're, you're saying... Because are you doing the Christian position now? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm that. really confused. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm arguing for your position now. I think I'm still Okay. No, no. I, what I'm saying I'm is what you've just said. I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I think I'm, it's really dangerous. So I'm agreeing with wait you Wait a minute. No, you're saying... What you just said is, if one thing is true, then all these other things have to no, be no, true no. at I'm the same time. The that's bullshit. No, what I'm saying is... Jesus doesn't have to have existed to not think that homosexuals, so that gay people should be stoned to death. Right? That, 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 those two things it? do not align. No, what I, what I'm not sure at this point that establishing whether or not Jesus existed is the most... Well, I don't think we're going to answer that. We shouldn't care period. about it, except in the biggest growth movement in Christianity worldwide, it is central. And Giles has just said it's true. So it does matter. Well, given that people are still arguing about it, isn't it more important to ask about this crossing of boundaries. So if you look at Richard Dawkins, and I think he's interesting to bring up, you look at his work in America, and in American public life, to not be Christian is to be the outsider, yeah. mm. right? So you can't be a politician yeah. unless you're dangerous. a Christian, and very you have dangerous. to express certain points of view. Now that's where there's a very interesting, and I, I think a lot of people would argue a very good public campaign, which is about enabling atheists to come out, uh, promoting it as a very positive thing, trying to encourage politicians who are non-believers exactly right. to come out. Really and it's important. amazing. It's the way that people were talking about homophobia here 30 sure. years ago. In Britain, I think it feels, we're not in that position. It doesn't feel as dangerous. No, we're an eminently um, sensible right. country. But to go back to that point you <laughs> yeah, raised, which exactly was right. very important, you know, when does it matter whether or not you believe in Jesus or have these views about the resurrection? It matters when, in public debates about what's being taught in faith schools, in public debates about when do we set the, um, the time limits on abortion, People are bringing religious views, which might be minority views in this country, and they are having more sway or not, and they're affecting the health and the education and the welfare of society. Or they're large. bringing views that they don't actually recognise as religious, but, but, but the Bible in particular is such a cultural icon in, in, in Western culture that it's nonetheless influenced. Even those of us that might call ourselves agnostic or atheist, we're still, we've still been massively influenced by biblical ideas about what it is to be human, what it is to be a child, whatever it is. It also matters practically as well, because it's not okay, uh, 250 yards from here, for a woman who is uh, in need of an abortion to have to walk through 40 yards of people mm. showing her pictures yeah. of aborted fetuses. And they do that because the, they, their interpretation of this book says that they are correct, 
and that that, that action. But they is do there have are, the right that, to protest. That has to be said for all reason. We're not just talking about the creation of the earth and, and Genesis mm. versus but you've what actually there are atheists. Hang on, there are atheists who are against who are against abortion as well. So it's not it's it's not simply yes, that's, that's, it, that's true. That's, it, and it's and not simply those guys aren't those guys aren't standing in front of But equally, of those people no, have are. the right to protest outside of those places. Those guys are dicks too. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I agree with you about the politics, but we're not talking about we're not talking about the ethics and the politics here, because I will share your view. We're talking about whether it's legit. I mean, I don't know whether it's. But legitimate. I, see, I think we, we need to move on to ethics and politics because this is about the reality in which people are living with their choices about whether they believe or not and how they negotiate life. And I think I mean, one of the people I'm most fascinated by um, in humanism is Andrew Copson, not least because he introduced me to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which everyone knows. Um, but his, his work late. on... Yeah, I know this Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, I love Andrew. I'm Andrew Copson. I'm still only just got as far as the Battlestar Galactica boxer. I'm kind of ten years behind everything. But... <laughs> His work on faith schools is really interesting because I've interviewed him several times about it on various programs, but if you look at his focus, it isn't about saying, I'm a humanist and anyone who believes in God is wrong. It's about um, issues of what are people being taught in schools based on what is agreed. You know, there are certain, I mean, most people, including people who believe in God, believe in evolution. So, you know, He's, he's got a very careful line about what is mainstream thinking, what is a mainstream consensus, and then challenging the fact that there are schools, Islamic schools, Christian schools, all kinds of schools, which are completely throwing out, you know, the law of the land about homosexuality, you know, and equal treatment, about the status of women, about whether girls should be doing PE or having sex education. Now, that seems to me a very interesting model of how you can challenge faith in society because you're using principles of law, which even if originally there is um, you know, a Christian basis to how laws have evolved, they are not religious now in the way that they're applied. I don't know, I just think it's an interesting area, and I wanted to feature you had a view on, well, on that, that whole battleground of how humanism is in the battle over, over society. So we'll all agree on this, I suspect we'll all agree, because in a way, one of the things that we share, the three of us share, is we share a, a sort of, as it were, particular sort of humanist 20, 21st century values, and we'd all share those about, about women, about homosexuality, about all those. Sort of, we, I think we'd, we'd, we'd assume all those. What, the interesting thing is what we think about those who we think are wrong and the ability to express those views. We may all agree about that, that they're wrong, but actually what do we think about the ability to express those views? And that's actually a rather complicated subject mm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a society that we would want to value as diverse. So, you know... Do I uh, want a society in which it's okay for people to talk bollocks? Yes, obviously. Do I want a society in which it's okay for people to talk dangerous bollocks? Depends how dangerous it is. That seems to be the answer to the question. But also, I think discrimination is a really interesting word. And I think homosexuality is a really interesting example because so many faiths, at quite a mainstream level, do have a problem with um, accepting homosexuality. So if you look at schools and the number of schools which aren't willing to talk about it, but because there's now a law about what is acceptable, you can use that law to define if someone's crossed the line. And I wonder if, you know, isn't that a model of... I'm sorry, I'm stopping the fighting now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> disagree with me, Adam. <laughs> but I'm just interested in, in how that law is, is, is quite an interesting counter to where faiths are crossing the line, even though homophobia is still a really big problem in, well, in society. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, however, 
I do think it's worth noting that, in, as I said a minute ago, we, are, we do appear to be an eminently sensible country, and I do believe that. And it is, it is noticeably different, particularly in the areas that I know best, which are to do with how science interacts with religion, particularly creationism, but also climate change. Um, as well, we we have a we have a better framework in this country for having sensible conversations than than exists in in the U.S. Now that's that, that I think that's interesting sociologically, right? I, I, I we, we, I'm sure I'm pretty sure you could talk about this um, m much more eloquently than either of us two fools. Um, so why don't why you? Don't you? <laughs> why don't you? <laughs> Thank you. <Adam. laughs> So open yourself up to that one. <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably, and, and not just because of the events of recent weeks in Paris, but I, I do think that this whole idea about what is appropriate and what is not is one of the things that we struggle with most. Um, and I think we struggle with it most at an intellectual level and an institutional level, as well as at a sort of day-to-day -day level. Do you not think the people who struggle with it most are the people who are the least affected by it? Well, that's the, that's the history of, of Christianity, right? No, but I'm thinking You've got a bunch Islam. of celibate people who live in Rome who've never had sex telling us who can and who can't have sex. No, I don't, think, they are, I don't think that's true. No, the most because, irrelevant comments is ever. It's a bad joke. I, it's a dangerous joke. I, you know, a, a lot of my... A, a lot of... Within my world, uh, in academia, there are an awful lot of people that feel very, very persecuted. So these are, you know, that claim persecution, religious persecution, social persecution because of their beliefs. And this is primarily evangelical Christians, and you know some of them are professors, some of them are students, whatever it is. Um, and I, I, I do think that it's not so much. I, are they persecuted? Of course they're not, because the persecution of Christians in Egypt is what Christian persecution looks like at the moment, mm. um, not Christian persecution in the UK. But I do think you know the point that you made about a woman going to an abortion clinic. I agree with you. Why should she have to walk past a bank of people screaming and brandishing placards with, you know, dying fetuses in front of her? I agree, that's awful. But I agree that they have the right to protest. And, and I find that really difficult. I don't know what the right thing is. You know, I'm absolutely against any kind of um, segregation or discrimination in education. Well, you see, that, that's no the example I was thinking I don't even of. believe in gender segregation. You know, I, 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 you know, done a lot of stories over the years about Islam and the way it's changed society. And... You, you know, I mean, there was a German female, you know, she was definitely not a Muslim, um, judge, who ruled in a divorce proceeding that, oh, you could apply Sharia law to this case. It was in Germany, and it was a woman who had been battered. And, there, you know, and, and she had no understanding, but was, but was trying to be culturally sensitive. Mm. And we know that here, often, that's the reason why. Well, this why. is the big debate now, you know, isn't it? The People former Archbishop Canterbury talked about Sharia law being something that we exactly. could understand. And, and but it is a lot of because really actually it's, it's about let's be polite and let's not piss anyone off. And, you know, the whole thing about the, the cartoonists in Paris, I think, you know, there were only one or two journalists that did say, actually, we're not going to print the cartoons because we're scared. Um, I've, I've tweeted the cartoons of Mohammed. I have done for, you know, the, the J and Mo stuff I've done for years because I, I show that kind of stuff in my lectures. But I will always say, but then I show pornography. I mean, for educational purposes. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, Your lectures you, are really interesting. No, they, they are amazing. <laughs> but um, I'll show pornography in my lectures, but I'll always say, you know, if I'm showing offensive religious images, I'll always say, this is what's coming up, and I'll describe it in words, and I'll say, we're going to show it. If you want to leave the room, that's absolutely fine. As soon as you've, we've seen this, we're going to have a break for 10 minutes, come back into the room and we'll discuss it. Da, da, da. So I, I do think you, can, you have to give people the choice. And, and it's the issue of choice that's the important thing. It's not about 
what's deciding what's offensive, and it's not about deciding what's appropriate. It's about to what extent are people free to choose. And the fact is that in our society, some people are more able to choose than others. But if you had the example of the universal segregation story, which I think everyone knows, it emerged as a document saying, you know, if people are asking to segregate an event on gender lines, then essentially you can allow it. Now, if someone said, actually, you know, this is a Muslim event, and we want all the gay people to sit on that side of the room. Or all the women to sit on that side yeah, of the room. But it's why is it okay with gender? And, you know, I just think, I always come back to homosexuality because what's really interesting about it is um, actually applying your scientific thing. It's not something you can see and define in the way that you can usually see and define whether someone's male or female or black or white. And I think it's very interesting that homosexuality is um, an aspect of humanity that is still so contentious and is a very interesting example of where the battle lines are sometimes in a, in a society that's trying to please everybody. So... I mean, my views on homosexuality and in terms of the church are well known and you know I, I mean I've taken a lot of stick for saying you know that I don't think there's any sort of sin and there's, there's, and, and all sorts of you know I mean I've, I've a long standing but what I what I what I would say is that it's that actually there's a great deal of homophobia in society in general and the idea that this is a religious problem um, it is a religious problem, but the idea that it's only a religious problem, these sorts of problems are much more widespread. I mean... But who's saying it is yeah, a religious problem? I, I mean, thought this say, was part of But who's saying it's exclusively a religious problem? Okay, well, it's, then, then that's fine. It's not, I mean, I think religion has... So, if you're not, then we, we, there's no argument. But, I mean, it, the truth of the matter is religion has had uh, a, a big hand. I mean, it's just like, you know, it needs to be challenged. It needs to be... It needs to be totally challenged. But but, you, so it but is the, a religious problem in the sense that if the church came out and said, hey, you know what, what you've just said, this isn't a problem for us, we're totally cool about, about homosexuality, that would be an enormously progressive thing which would benefit everyone. It right? would. And that would have the effect, I presume, of, I've just said it's not exclusively a religious problem, but if, if the church, with its influence, however you measure that, were to make a statement just like you have done, and presumably you do to your parishioners, yeah. right? if, if that were to happen universally, if the Pope said that from the Holy See, what sort of effect would that have on the overall view of... of well, it might have an effect, but so, and, and it would be a very good thing for it to happen, so we, there's no disagreement to be, ha to be had between us there, no disagreement whatsoever. But, but here's what I'm trying to get at with regard to this, and that religion can be a fairly convenient way of saying all of the society's problems on this particular issue exist in that box. I mean, the women thing is, is, is very interesting. So on Monday, so the, for, for, for ages, the Church of England has the stories, and I've written them um, uh, as, as well as read them, about you know, glass ceiling for women, women can't be bishops, how terrible it is. It's absolutely bloody terrible. Okay. So on, on Monday, there'll be a, a woman bishop um, in, in the Church of England. But if you, at the same time as that, we, we at The Guardian were having um, conversations about the arts about, about this week, you know, in terms of a progressive group of people, and you, and you actually look at those in leadership positions in the arts, across the arts, in terms of the gender divide, and, and I suppose it was a sort of prompted by the Eddie Redmayne spat and so forth, that actually... You know, if you look in the arts, there is a huge amount of sexism. There's a huge amount of sort of male dominance and so forth. This is not religious. This is not, you know, this is not in a religious environment. This is right-thinking liberal lefties, and it's still there. So my problem is not that religion's wrong about things like this. It is. My problem is that if you focus 
the attention on religion, you can easily excuse the fact that it's a lot wider than that. And even when religion's dead, as it were, even if that happens, there will still be an issue. So don't let yourself off the hook by pointing the finger of religion and saying, it all comes from you, because it actually... I don't think anyone is... does. I don't think anyone does. Okay. And I think that, well, that you know, the history of religion, this, this hegemonic grasp over power for however many thousands of years, it has something important to say as a statement about any of these issues that people like you and me and The Guardian agree, uh, agree about, right? And, and it's the same point that I was just making a second ago. <clears throat> if, the, if the Pope comes out, as JP2 did, and said evolution is more than a theory... Right? And then Ratzinger comes back and says, actually, I think we need to take a step back from looking at evolution as, as being correct. And then the current one, what's his name? Francis. Francis, Francis comes back and says evolution is, is, is actually correct again, which that's my understanding of the, the, the Holy See's view on evolution over the last 20 years. Um, I don't think it needs to be more sophisticated than that, to be perfectly honest. But, right, you know... <laughs> That he, he's talking to, he's talking to what? Don't you love it when the Pope started doing Twitter? And it's supposed to be infallible. He never responds No, at no, no, all. he doesn't. He but he never what I love is the either, infallible, no, I think it was the second or third tweet that the Pope made on Twitter. And remember, he's infallible. He made a spelling mistake. <laughs> now, it's like... We had to change the dictionary now, at that Maybe point. the dictionary has to change now. I mean, there is a... I, I come that. from a Catholic family. My, my gran, who I adore... Um, is she goes to church three times a week, and some what of do you the, say to her? She, what, what's more important is what she says to me, which is, "Don't worry, I'll pray for you." Um, Bless. But um, I get people telling me that all the fucking time. I, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. But but you know, they, they, the same issue presents itself in that very conversation because the the disparity between what the Holy See says, what the Vatican says, and what actually happens with people who go to church for all sorts of social reasons, and they may believe stuff which I think is uh, somewhere between incorrect and bonkers, right? It doesn't really. It, what, what, what the Pope says has almost no bearing on, on, on the Shock, life of... horror. I know, People I know. believe bonkers things. And, and, and actually, you know, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is kind of why the debate, why, why the polarised debate in the last 15 years, if that, what, what, if that is like the benchmark that we're using, it is, I sometimes find, you know, terribly boring. You're talking about a bunch of guys who wear dresses, talking about stuff that has almost no relation to, to the real world. Have I, have I absolutely undermined my entire premise in that last sentence? <laughs> I think we should take some questions at this point. So, we have microphones. Do we have that microphone that you can throw around like a ball anymore? Yeah, we had it last time. Uh, right, where are our microphones? Do we have one or two? My God, there's people two. out there. Right, there's a gentleman on the aisle here. I will take that one first. I'll, take, I'll alternate sides. And then we'll take the gentleman right down the front next. I have a question. Um, it was relating to something you were talking about earlier, and then the debate went off on a tangent, we and we never got answered. It's so amazing. Um, and um, sorry, I've forgotten the vicar's name. I apologise. Giles. Giles. Um, you, you, you said that there was definitely one specific thing that, um, where religion had superseded science, so it proved science wrong oh, yes, or, or yes. similar. But we never got the answer. Yes. To yeah, you left what it was. Hanging for an hour sorry, man. Uh, you, you get me to go back into a bit of the conversation. It's just like, let me just do that mental leap. Do you remember leap. I mentioned Samira the thing from the Quran? Right, the the embryonic, embryonic. And you said, no, yeah. there's, there's a better one. Yeah, yeah you a did. Do you want to take a moment to think about it? No, no, it? I've got it. Oh, you got it. Okay. That's right. I don't need to think too much. Um, Clearly. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it was a joke against myself. 
We're old. I think. I think. I think. We do this a lot. I think is this something to do with this business about self-critical vigilance, which is rather important for me. I mean, one of the things that I most value about my tradition, and I mean this, I mean, I really mean this, is how crap it is. Um, what, what I mean by that is, is the roots of my intellectual, uh, the way I'm nourished intellectually is very fragile. And that I recognize the, uh, the basis of so much of what I say is challengeable, questionable. So doubt is, is, is a huge part of the way in which I see the world. Now, if I want to say one bit in which uh, I think that uh, the, the pro progress, I mean, I think a lot of what I have to say is that there's a hostility to the idea of progress, is the idea that we're now in a position where the roots of my intellectual worldview are solid and secure and stable and are right and are true and are better. Now, there is a bit of that which I think is incredibly dangerous. And that uh, I would much prefer, ethically, morally, the person who recognizes the sort of crapness of their own intellectual tradition but tries to work with it than the person who has no uh, sense that their intellectual tradition can admit of danger, falsity, uh, or crapness, various and You just described science. And, <laughs> no, but you see, can I, can I tell you why? Can I, can I tell you why I really disagree with what you just said? It's because the level of applause that has just had. Because what you think is, um, is that I have a method, and this method is so solid because it involves this, that it can never lead me into any sort of um, it can never lead into anything. And so you have these people who are enthusiastic. You would applaud it. You would just like, yeah, cheer, the boo hurrah. Now that cheer is what worries me. That cheer is the sense that, and this is a place for that cheer, but that cheer as if we're right, you're wrong. The only people I worry about in life are the people who think they're right. That's it. Okay. I can't hear you, sorry. The chairs for the doubt. Chair I don't doubt. see the doubt. So you. Okay. And, and you cheer enthusiastically for it. Then we, All share, right. then, All right. then we share the same perspective. Cool. Let's take the next one. Uh, hi there. Um, this is going to start as a comment and may end up as a question. Can so you I keep things concise? To yeah, absolutely. No, no, no problem at all. Um, I think right from the very start of this conversation, uh, one thing that was kind of missed was um, the difference between uh, knowledge and experience. Um, knowledge and science has attempted a more accurate representation thereof is different from Wordsworth and an explanation of his experience. Um, and that seems to me to be somewhat of the difference between science and a lot of what happens in religion, because you talked about um, intellectualizing, and oftentimes I think what happens is someone experienced something, intellectualized it, wrote it down, and people take that as holy writ, literally, um, when, uh, you know, and it sounds kind of plausible and scholastic and whatever, but ultimately it is 
first and foremost, an experience that hasn't been checked. You know, okay. it's someone's right. personal interpretation okay. of things. Any also, questions? just very quickly, that so Wordsworth could be mistaken about well, no, daffodils. Well, Wordsworth was was describing an experience. He wasn't trying to be scientific. He wasn't trying to say how the daffodil no, can be. No, he wasn't trying to be scientific. No, exactly. Um, and just very quickly, that that Galen thing about embryology um, that was lifted almost entirely from Galen. Uh, sorry, the Quran thing about embryology was lifted almost entirely from Galen. Um, Greek scientists. Okay. Yeah, no, so. well, there's a whole thing about text that you probably know. Um, I suppose you could describe an experiment as experience, isn't it? Um, well, I, I, just an observation. Yeah, well, but I mean, CERN, that's all. They had to really do that. Stuff, I don't, I don't really understand the distinction between. I, I do recognise. I mean, Feynman talked about how, you know, his, his. I can't remember the exact quote, and I'm sure someone in the audience will be able to remember it precisely, <laughs> but about his artist friends who criticised him for saying, when I see a flower, I see beauty. Um, when you see it, you just want to take it apart and understand how it works, or something like that. And, and Feynman's response was, I derive great beauty from understanding this, this, yeah, the, sure. this, this I think process. most people agree with I don't that. see I any difference no. between the way... You know, I, 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 I'm not... An, I, I don't have an autistic perception of, of art. Or, no. or, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you can't do it. I just don't think it's supernatural. Okay. No, 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 but you're trying to say... No, the, the, the supernatural, we've never gone to the supernatural thing. So what we're trying to say is you wanted to say earlier that the uh, scientific understanding of the flower was somehow primus into Paris in a discussion amongst different sorts of disciplines. So if you were, were talking, and this gentleman here I thought was also saying that it was primus into Paris, it was somehow, it was somehow superior. To, to understand a flower scientifically than it was to understand it. Now, I'm not trying to say you can't understand it as a, something beautiful. I just like, it just riles when you say that it's superior. In what is the superiority okay. of that particular perspective? It, what what okay. if you're justifying it? How do you justify the superiority? Think we've had that thing, so not that it's wrong, mm. you can do beauty. Right, let's take the next one. Um, can I take that, the question yeah. near the back, the gentleman with the glasses? And then there's one in the very back row on this side, the gentleman at the very back row on there. So my question relates to the discussion on sexism that was uh, raised around um, the fact that while there is sexism in religion, it's not exclusive to religion and that ha happens elsewhere. I think that there's a... And you gave the example of um, sexism in the arts and positions um, being ge generally... Um, uh, it's, it's overwhelming majority is men. Um, but I think the difference is that um, in the Church of England there was a, a rule that you couldn't have women bishops rather than in the arts where it's just, um, or in other circumstances where that's just individuals having An unwritten bias. rule. An unwritten rule. Yeah. I tell, you that, what, this was my point. I tell you what, I prefer my sexism to be written down so you can challenge it than it's not written down and you can't. That's actually a really difficult... But, but I, really do, I do think that this is, but the sexism that we have, yeah, broadly in, in, in society, is, is exactly the point I was making about the Bible as a cultural icon whether we adhere to it or not, so many of these ideas about the relative value of a woman versus a man, and I have to say that the Bible's not clear about two genders at all, but that's for another time. Um, but, but so much, it, it's a hangover, not even a hangover, it's a continued sort of drip, drip, sort of perpetuation of this perceived difference between men and women and the value, the relative value. So, yes, it's, it's not explicitly a religiously-based discrimination between the sexes that's happening in academia, massively in academia, um, but it particularly, you know, any intellectual uh, position, it, it's still happening. It's, we know it happens in the sciences. Sure, sure. It happens well, everywhere. The discovery of DNA, I mean... Um, 
Rosalind. Well, I think that story is, is misrepresented frequently. Well, but, but they didn't I mean, steal her stuff. No, I don't think they did. <laughs> and I think that Rosalind Franklin was one of the greatest um, scientists of the 20th century. But the narrative that but surrounds... But she didn't get name-checked, name no. is that right? In the no, Nobel Prize? and she wasn't there when they took her notes, it's a, she? It's a complex story. Um, and Crick and Watson don't come out of it. In fact, no one comes out of it. Well, I think Rosalind comes good. out of it pretty well. No, no, I'm not sure that's entirely correct. She, she was... She, she, she was Many descriptions of her were that she was quite difficult to work with and she was quite unpleasant, but I... I, I oh, um, my God! Adam! <laughs> do you realise you just said that? Adam! I, yeah, I do know I just said that. I, I also know that other descriptions of, of her in Paris, where she worked before she came to King's, was that she was yeah, very but, jovial but, but and easy to get on Yeah, but you know that that's like the most standard trope that, that, that traditionally patriarchal society reverts to is that women are very difficult. Don't know the place. I'm yeah. simply anyway. pointing out things that are... I didn't even say that was my opinion. I no, said no. that some descriptions of I'm her were that. I'm just noting for you that I just, It's just that we're so glib about these things. We're so glib about these stories and say, well, what about Rosalind Franklin? Well, yeah, if you want to know about Rosalind Franklin, there are hundreds of books written about her, and there is a really sophisticated way of... Uh, uh, we, you know, we could talk about that all night. But I'm the a whole great narrative defender of, of certain her. scientific discoveries can be challenged if you start to unpick these unwritten rules about how women might have been treated. You, what we, we we're don't con, have we're conflating a whole now. bunch of stuff here, which is that the world is sexist, and millions of people, billions of people on Earth are misogynists. And then you throw in Rosalind Franklin, as if, as if, you know, this is something that I'm responsible for. When actually, no, we're, no, we're just no, saying but, but that if complex. this is a debate about science is neutral, you can actually say that it isn't always neutral in the way that the story of science is recorded. So we're not talking about whether no, the no, DNA. I, but I, but I, don't, I don't dispute that, and I've written we're at length about in public about that, defending um, uh, Rosalind Franklin's what actually happened uh, uh, during 1952 and 19, to 1954, and being overt absolutely explicit about the fact that the, the person on which my entire career is based was an absolute arsehole, and is an absolute okay, arsehole. Okay, fine. Um, so it's just, it's just it's, you know, it's not to okay. To be fair, my career's based on God and the Bible, and that's bloody arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's take our next question. It's the back row, you've got the microphone yes, uh, Thank you. I, I was talking about Jim Watson there. You know, okay, I'm, I'm uh, I've been on, just to uh, beat Adam, I've been on two Alpha courses, and I was thrown off both. I'm, I'm a scientist. But my impression this evening is a bit like Strictly Come Dancing is that uh, we're on a bit of a journey of understanding, understanding everything, and certainly understanding uh, the whole scientific base. I mean, the multi-universe, where 80% of our energy is in the universe. We don't understand that. I don't think uh, evolution, whatever Adam may say, and he talks very eloquently on it, is understood. Uh, and the, uh, the question I want to ask is, I think it's uncertainty, really, in all our cases, that yeah, we okay. must be at the centre of everything, from Christianity through to science and all of that. It's the uncertainty. And we should consider ourselves coming together, enjoying each other's company, whatever diverse views we have, and trying to understand things. That's what I think that we are inclined to do that. But one final question to Adam. Uh, my understanding of genetics is that they now think there is a designer in the sky because the libraries which, by which our genetic structure uh, is made up from looks as though it's been actually organised. I'm there not sure no whether you're familiar with it. There's no way for me to say this, but your understanding of genetics is wrong. <laughs> right. And, and I, you know, I, 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 
doubt, you, know, you alluded to uncertainty, and absolutely, I said it earlier today, doubt is the essence of this process of understanding that, that we refer to as science. There are different levels of doubt within, these, within the different disciplines and, and where our banks of knowledge derived from the scientific method exist. Yes, we don't know what dark matter or dark energy is. I'm not qualified to talk about that. Um, when it comes to evolution by natural selection, if, uh, let me phrase it like this, it is a, a law which is robust enough, I think, that such that it is unlikely to be fundamentally wrong uh, in perpetuity. Right? That doesn't mean to say that, it, that our understanding of evolution is, is, um, is perfect. Um, it isn't. As I said earlier, science is an ever-moving target. These are always um, transitional fossils that we, we, we describe. <coughs> However, you, know, you say you don't understand evolution. I do. Right? And, and millions of scientists out there do. And we work at trying to refine our understanding of how evolution works and how genetics works. There, there is no reason to, to suppose or presuppose that there is evidence of a designer in DNA. There just isn't. Okay. And, and, and it's fine for you to, to, to think that. It's just that you're wrong. Okay. Tell, the horse, tell um, the horse baby story. Okay, I'll take, okay, take the one from the very front, the lady in the very front row here. Um, and then I'll take the gentleman with the beard, second in, in the middle there. That's you, yes. Hello. I want to go back to the point about um, the scientific truth being the best way oh, to understand things. religion. See, yes, see. <laughs> it sort of is about religion as well. And I, and I ask this question as, a, as an atheist and someone with a science degree. Um, so the example is someone who's been bereaved. Science says that their loved one who they're grieving is dead, um, but their faith might say that their loved one is in a wonderful afterlife or will be reborn. And that belief helps them get over their grief and helps them move on and come to terms with what's happened. So could you really say in that example that the scientific truth is the best way of understanding things if it helps someone in such a way? I've got an answer to this. If it's true, yes. Yeah, if it's true, true is important. True is important. Don't is, be so it best? is it best in this well, example? I, just like, I mean, I we sort of wet about upsetting people's feelings. I mean, if, if people are sort of like overly invested in whether this is... I mean, I'm, I'm completely with what I think Adam would say, is that if something's true, it's true. I mean, we're not actually trying to tailor um, truth to whether it upsets people or not. If it's true, it's true. See, I think I would probably differ from the boys in that, the boys in that case. Well, that's a little Both older than me. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm an atheist. Um, but I think this, this kind of illustrates really well my point about this difference between the medical body and the social body. And medically, mm. in the ways in which Western medicine defines biological death, yes, the body is dead, and yes, that's that, you know, the person has gone, that's all that, it, that's all that you know, nothing remains. But on the other hand, even the most, you know, in this secular or post-secular age in, in which we live, actually, we do have a remarkable ability as human beings to maintain our social relationships with the dead. And particularly in material form, whether it's going to a grave or holding onto the ashes or whatever it is. So actually, even though biologically and medically, both of which are Western constructs in this sense, 
there is no person. Socially, of course there's still a person. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly exist. the point I was trying to elucidate, really. That, yeah. you know, I, I said, you know, as a scientist and an atheist, blah, blah, yeah, exactly. because, you know, I, I don't believe that. And that's that, why science but isn't I, best, and that's yes, why science isn't true. I've experienced bereavement no. oh, where people... Oh, you're an atheist, but easily believe, believe that. Can I finish what I'm saying now? Just let her finish briefly. Go ahead, finish your point briefly. The reason I say this, and it's quite personal, is because, you know, I've been through bereavement myself and, you know, just believe that the person who's died is dead, but other people in my family have believed that the person who's died has gone on to heaven and that's how they've dealt with it and I've sort of um, you know seen them find strength in that and, and I think for them in their personal situation that religious belief is best it's better than the scientific but, truth but for them so that's what to, I was saying but you don't have yeah. to frame it religiously to have an ongoing social mm. relationship no, I, with yeah, the person yeah, I was really right. supposed to be challenging exactly Adam right. but I think Adam's exactly spoke right. if, yeah. I, if I am so egotistical to think that I might have a legacy after I die I hope it is in the behaviour of my children, or the behaviour of people... But not just that, but would, it, but would it matter, you know, and I'm sorry to bring this up, but, you know, would it matter to you what your children did to your material remains? What, if I was dead? Yeah. You know the answer to that. No, no, really, no, really, like, really, think about it, your materiality as a social being, like, whether that it's a, a grave question. or some kind of memento of you, like your favourite jumper or it, it, your aftershave. What if your consciousness it, it, it matters, matters, it matters to me until the point that I die that they should choose what happens to me in a way that they, they, is, is most satisfactory to them, to me. I don't give a fuck. You see, okay. I'm a complete, a total atheist, always have and always will be, but I've written an awful lot about corpses and death and, and anthropological rituals of, of, you know, concerning that. And I've realised that there are certain things that I do not want to happen to me when I die. And I'm an atheist, you know, I do not want certain things happening to my body when I die. And even though I'm a complete atheist and I completely, you know, but I just... That's a social being. And it's, a, my so, it's okay. about my social personhood. And, and really I think, honest. actually, if you were pushed... Exactly right. You would know that there were some things that you didn't. It's true, want. actually. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, Samira yeah. said. I said so, and yeah. I'm right. Samira said I'm it. Samira said it's true. Just want <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. Samira uh, said yes, it. Yes, go ahead. Um, uh, I'm going to start by saying I'm not an atheist. Um, oh. Uh, Who let you in? <laughs> <laughs> We're both going to burn in a minute. Yeah. It's combust um, in here. I, I, I wanted to, to make two quick points, but one, I want to get onto the, this materialist position because I'm interested in, in uh, your, uh, what a materialist theory of mind is, because it seems to me that, a lot, that neuroscience is making a lot of claims about the theory of mind, which are unsupportable are, and in essence are in fact metaphysical claims, and they're, so, they're trying to have it two ways, um, which I think is, is interesting. But I also think this notion of the resurrection... Um, no, wait a minute, you can't... Can it... Wait a minute, there's a two... No, no, I know, I know, but it's important. The notion of the resurrection, can it be both true and not true? Yes, of course that's right. They both, but a Christian would say Fundamentally, it can be both true and not true. Yes. And it is the unendurableness of having to hold those two things that make us into rationalists or irrationalists we can't live in the tension You are completely those colliding a number completely of different right. worlds in a kaleidoscope kind of way to try and, to make and, sense and of that. And I think that is probably the most honest way to live. Exactly it's, right. just, it's just unendurable. Completely right. Oh, okay. Completely right. I you found a buddy. No, it's just it's absolutely it's true. It's not true. It's, I mean, I think that's... I think that, and that's the way in which... Said. 
Sorry? This is what Richard Cole said. He said that some things are true, but some things are more true. And this is basically what this... No, no, no. I've said, he's talking I've about the resurrection. I haven't said one is more true or not true. Yeah. It is like, it is it both not true, true and not true yeah. at the but same that's time. that's what so many Christians say. Yeah. Adam, do you have a view on this that you'd like yeah, to I share? I do with have us? a view. On yeah, it. that's a question about what it means. I that's a really good question. It, that's a really good you know, question. Just answering it, uh, expressing this view in the yeah. context of, of, want of you two, and, and the question that you've just asked, makes me feel like I should be. I, I, it makes me feel like I should be slightly embarrassed to say, <coughs> I, I, I don't understand what you're talking about mm. because it's either true or it's not, and it doesn't matter. What it did it happen or did it not happen? You can't mm. answer that. I agree with Adam on this one, actually. Shall I tell you? Shall I tell That's you? Okay, this is a really weird way. This is, this, is the this is the crux of it, and it's very, very important. Um, and, I've, and I've got a sort of slightly rubbish way of answering this question. And that is, I like Scooby-Doo. And I think Scooby-Doo is one of those great sort of modern narratives about secularization and about uh, anti-religion. I think it's an anti-religion story. So what happens is there's all sorts of um, hocus-pocus going on and uh, the, the dog's scared of it and the shaggy's scared of it, but Thelma and so forth always find out that it's the nasty man behind the thing going... And it's obviously... It looks like it's sort of supernatural bollocks, but it's actually a rational explanation. Okay, And so to that extent... It's, it, it, it wins the day. The, 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 the Conway Hall wins the day on Scooby-Doo, except there's another series the week after, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after, and they keep on asking the same question. Why do these people keep on asking the same question about this? Because something... OK, I'm, I'm obviously having fun with this idea, but something is unanswered Something is unanswered and keep on saying, yes, there's a rational explanation for this. Maybe it's not unanswered. Yeah, maybe it's just no. that we like asking the question. Not, well, no, so, I, that, that's I, so, my answer to that. That may be the case. What you just that said is masturbation, right? You know, no. You can, no. no. Every I think, single one of these stories keep in history on, turned out we to keep be on return, not magic. And so we right? keep on... Of course it's not magic. But why, I why agree is that so, it's not magic. But, but what, so, so, why, so either you can say... We keep on returning to this sort of thing because we're just fucking stupid. No, no, okay. I don't think it's all you can say. We keep on returning to this because there's an order of reality here, which is not a scientific reality, but there's an order of reality which we still can't quite, we still can't quite fathom or get out. Not that it's some supernatural something like that. No, 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 that's not true. But there's still something here which I can't quite. Explain all you've just described is that Scooby-Doo is a good story and we like telling stories. Well, it may be that. It may be that. It may be that. So I, I'm actually just using... So it may be that I'm just using the Scooby-Doo stuff to try and get at what I thought the gentleman rightly said. And I feel this exactly myself, which is that I think these things are true and not true at the same time. Now, do you, do, so, so does that make sense? I mean, in a sense... Mm, probably not. No, no, no. So the question is... So, so the question is, I think, so I want to defend the fact that it does make sense. I want to defend the sense that there is all sorts of things about which, I mean, I have to say, uh, any sort of like basic stuff in psychoanalysis will talk about ambivalence, and ambivalence is where you feel both that something is both true and not true at the same time. Mm -hmm. I love my mother, I hate my mother. I'm terribly sorry, it's absolutely true. But your mother so, exists. Uh, yeah, I, just say, I think yeah. we might have to save this for yeah, yeah. Giles. Yeah. I really want to see this Scooby Doo thing developed as a thought for the day. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Don't we all? So, oh, God, but that's exactly the level of, of, of theological discourse we get on thought for the day. Because I know oh, the, form, and the formula always ends. No, I deeply uh, respect you, but that was that. But you know what the last <laughs> line is no, of every thought for the day? Whatever the metaphor, it's always 
which is a bit like God, isn't it? That is it. <laughs> that, that is like it. that. Everyone, I'm anyway, not let's move on. Right. Gentleman there with the stripy shirt, and I would hit the lady in the second row here on the end with the white jumper. Uh, gentleman just there with the stripy shirt, waving his hands a little. That one first. Yeah, go ahead. Hi there. Um, it strikes me that going back two millennia, all debates such as these came down to your opinion versus my opinion. And then maybe 500 years ago, it was your opinion versus my opinion and my telescope. And now it's your opinion versus my opinion and my Hadron Collider. Projected out another 50 years, and we've got cognitive enhancements, perhaps. We've got various forms of artificial intelligence. How many of the arguments are going to remain unanswered from the religious side? That's a really good question. I like that. Who wants to take it first? Francesca? No? Uh, I, I, I would start by saying that I don't think that that's how you know, Christianity or Judaism or Islam started, was a difference of opinion. I, I don't think that's the case. I do think it's about a social experience of, of what but is There were religious there. debates. There were religious yeah, academics who used to sit around and debate. Things. In terms of where we are 50 years from now... That's no, I think the life after death thing is, gonna, is the biggest one okay. because I think ultimately we are absolutely terrified and yet besotted with our own mortality. I'm not. And I, I'm not as, as human beings, I, I do think we are. And I, and I think that a lot of religions, you know, just the research I've done, the, the, the religions of the book, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, derive from a certain sort of anxiety but also fascination with what happens to the to the ancestors, um, and that's not to go back to some 18th century bollocks about ancestor worship, but I, I do think that that's where we're still headed is towards the... We think that's unanswerable, really. Yeah, okay. I do, I think it's going to be... Do you think it will? That's what I'm interested in. That's why I'm interested in personhood and the sociality Science of takes away mortality. Because if, if it takes away our mortality, and this will make me sound a little bit like Giles, which I'm slightly nervous about. If, if science takes away our mortality, does that take away our personhood, our humanity? And I think that's what's really interesting, is that actually the more that we do have scientific interventions into, into how we live and how long we live and how we die and when mm. we die, I actually think it will change the way in which we think of what it is to be a person. Are we fundamentally different now in the 21st century uh, where our average age in, in the West, in mm. London, is in, in the 80s, mm. compared to how we were 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 10,000 years ago, where we were biologically the same as we are now, but our life expectancy was, you know, massively reduced. I think women are, just because more of us are, you know, there are more of us who aren't as pregnant as often, and there are more of us mm. that aren't dying as a result of children. But I do think that there are certain things that are very different, and I think it's this idea that we can control more certain things about our day-to-day well-being, and that's mental as, as well as, as physical. John? Um, I'd, I'd like to say to the person who asked the question um, that I, I want to sort of distinguish between two things, which is questions that are answerable and questions that are not answerable. And questions that are answerable scientifically, we may not know the answer yet, um, but one day we will. And some people mean that's what they mean by mystery. So it's a question to which there is an answer, but we just don't have it yet. And more people in laboratories will end up finding that out for us. And on those questions, then I think that the sort of work that you do and your friends 
is where I will put my trust entirely. But the, there is another thing, which is whether there are sort of questions for which there is no intrinsic answer, but, for, but, the, but the, the, the human condition returns to again and again. And it's not the same sort of question, and it doesn't have a same, uh, an answer. And that's what I call mystery. I don't mean by mystery the first thing. If mystery is the first thing, then let's get rid of it, and Adam and his friends can answer it for us. <laughs> but... but but Superhero if, team. If, yeah. <laughs> but if there is something that's intrinsic to the human condition that is never going to be answered like that, that we are constantly worrying about, that, you know, what is the nature of love? What is the nature of, you know, some of these big questions. For, which, for me, and the reason I talk about Wordsworth earlier, that actually I think, and let's just, take, let's just imagine a world in which religion is dead and gone. I will still be returning to the poets to... Uh, to, to help me with those questions and not to the scientists. And so would I. And, and that's exactly right. So this is why we're not picking a fight. Maybe not so Wordsworth. there's something, you know, no, I agree, <laughs> Wordsworth, is, I'm sorry about Wordsworth, but, but the, so there is a certain sort of uh, thing that poets do which, you, you know, which raids on the unspeakable, something trying to get at. Now that's what I call mystery, which yeah. is a, which is a, a much uh, abused word. And I, and I for me, Religion's quite good at doing that stuff. Yeah. For, all its, for all of its badness, it's quite good at doing that stuff because it is a, a form of poetry that focuses on these things that will never be answered in the, in the way that what we don't know can be answered. So I, Does that make sense to I you? I agree with you until that last sentence because the implication of what everything that you've just said, which I, 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 I think is, is, is broadly correct, the implication of the last part of what you just said so eloquently is that it's unknowable. And it's not, the point I was saying earlier, and probably you know, expressing poorly, um, is that uh, these things are not unknowable using scientific discourse or using the scientific method. They may not provide the most interesting answer, and it may be that Wordsworth will always be, not Wordsworth, whoever you like, will be a more interesting way um, uh, a, a more relatable way of talking about things. The, the, I think where we differ, where we differ here, is that you seem to be implying that these things are fundamentally unknowable. You are, they are agnostic. They are things that we cannot know. And I do not believe that there is anything that is unknowable. Okay. Um, right. I think we have time for a couple more. Yeah, go on, lady. You'd be a there, dangerous fascist. And then I'll take the gentleman the I mean, right there next to where you are. You'd be a very dangerous yes, fascist. That gentleman, and then the lady um, <laughs> with the scarf after that. Go ahead. Hi. I'm interested in this idea of dangerous, uh, that we get into danger if we are too certain that we don't show enough humility. There's another form of danger, which is the Weasley words, or the Weasley statements, which are unfalsifiable. Unfalsifiable hypotheticals. So uh, Wordsworth said he wandered lonely as a cloud. He didn't say he was a cloud. If he had written he was a cloud, he would have written bad poetry, and it would be also bad science. <laughs> However, you don't if really he had need said he was he a cloud, cloud, he would be making a statement rather like what religious people say. I am the son of God. Yeah. I am the last prophet of Allah. Yeah. These are unfalsifiable hypotheticals which get which can never be disproven, they're highly unlikely, 
We can pour an immense amount of doubt on them. Many of these statements are self-contradictory, but we can't disprove them. And it's with these kind of statements which are, that are dangerous because authority gets in and states them as if they are facts. Do you think poetry is dangerous? I think poetry can be good or bad, and we can. No, no, no I didn't ask that question because you went from you went from its unverifiability to danger. So let me ask you the question: Do you think poetry is dangerous? I think there are people who think poetry is not poetry; it's actually a kind of truth, and I think that's also true for um, yeah, me. For, for I mean, people read uh, Harry Potter and think he's an evil uh, warlock, and he ought to be poked. <laughs> The, the, the people don't, the, 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 it is possible for people to make category errors about poetry, okay. but by and large, we know it's fiction and it's, it's useful or it, it provides meaning, okay. it, is, oh, really it enriches our lives or it we doesn't. I want to some questions okay. in. Um, so, what was the question? The question is uh, Do you think that these, un these, the, actually, these unfalsifiable hypotheticals <coughs> okay. are also dangerous? Are They're dangerous. Okay. It's good Because there's so much about, I mean, you, you teach the authenticity of texts and things, don't you? And, mm. you know, people believe they're the literal word of God. And mm. some of these statements are written down 200 years after these people might have lived. So. Or more than that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, God didn't write the Ten Commandments with his finger, and Moses didn't write the Torah. Um, <gasps> David didn't write the song. So, are <gasps> these things dangerous? Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're, they're, people are dangerous. It's not things that are dangerous. Yeah. People, people are dangerous. dangerous. We all agree and on I think that, that's why. It's, that's what I would say. No, some things are dangerous. What, like bacteria like what? or something? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I like that one. No, yeah. I have to apologise because I had it's said horrible. this lady in second room was going to ask a question, and I forgot. So, will you forgive me, please? Go ahead. Um, as a humanist, I want to ask Giles a theological... Can you hold the microphone quite directionally, right into your face? That was better. Lovely. As a humanist, I want to ask Giles a theological question. Um, I share his pleasure that the ordination of the first CV lady bishop... Um, but according to BBC News, the Archbishop of York is going to lay his hands on this lady and then will therefore, the following week not lay his hands on the yeah. first, on the next male bishop, because then the next male bishop won't be acceptable. Not the next male bishop, it'll be yeah. a bishop, yeah. a very yeah. traditional yeah. priest yeah. who has yeah. asked not we know the to, have, to be yeah. touched by the What's the question? I, I was going to ask for your comments. Um, your view on that? As so. a humanist, I share your disgust, if I presume disgust, at this situation. As a Christian? Yeah. As a humanist, I said. Also as a Christian. But I also would class myself as a humanist. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. Who's the other person I gave a microphone to? It's this lady here. I mean, um, obviously, I agree with you. <laughs> we'll try and take a couple more, and then we'll probably have to wrap. Depends how long it takes to ask. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, to possibly slightly misrepresent something that Adam said, which was along the lines of science can tell us everything, um, I'd like to paraphrase <laughs> an essay by a friend that was um, tackling Sam Harris's new book, which is about science can tell us everything about, for example, how we should behave, um, what we should do and what we should think, etc. And as an atheist and a scientist, um, do you really think that and do you not think that ethics is a layer on top of science and that science comes between some philosophical assumptions around to, to believe that science can tell us things you have to accept some variation of utilitarianism and then move on from that do you not okay. think ethics so is so separate from science, science? Are, can, do you really believe science can answer everything and is there not this layer of ethics that actually is an important layer 
that sort of comes into anything you inquire into. No, it's a fine question, and if I haven't, if I haven't represented myself correctly so far, then I ought to try and clarify it. Now, um, I, I don't think there is anything that is unknowable via the process that we call science, but via the, the scientific method. Uh, as I've said already, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the most interesting answers to those questions. Um, is Chelsea going to win the uh, championship? Yeah, what about time travel? <laughs> no, there's nothing, that's, there's nothing that's unknowable. Is Chelsea going to win this year? I didn't say I know the answers. You're, no, look, you're looking at me like I'm a banker. Is it, is it unknowable or is it knowable now? Um, oh, yeah, well, we can, make, we can make predictions. No, 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 you said there's nothing that is unknowable. I'm asking you if Chelsea's going to win this year. You're asking me a metaphysical question. You said there's nothing that's unknowable. I'm just like trying to... Okay. Hold on a minute. But that is not to say... I mean, this, this is why this, this, this argument gets characterised as being science is arrogant, because people like me say things like that which are unnuanced. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> is it like it could be unknowable if you had but, the help of um, fifth-dimensional beings or something? Like oh, God, I know what you're doing to, here, to, dra oh, to drag it back, for example, Samira said about um, eugenics and Nazism and, and said something along the lines of science was bad in this case. I would argue that's nothing to do with science, really. Science was used by people with weird ethics to do bad things. Yeah. Exactly. Equally, though, I would say that, um, again, it's an example of the fact... I, I don't think... We, we often try to couple ethics and religion, and I, I find that quite difficult anyway. I, I think that we're actually um, quite capable of being... I mean, what is this ethics thing anyway that we well, talk about? Well, that's a big Basically, part of the humanist argument, yeah. isn't it? That this idea that ethics only comes from religion is something that's been challenged very strongly by humanism. Um, that it's about being human. There are no ethics in the Bible, for example. No. There's no ethical theory or ethical debate or ethical argument or ethics per se in the Bible Completely agree with that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not an ethical book. No. It's amazing how people reduce religion to ethics. I think it's an extraordinary thing that people think. I think that's mm. probably happens where, I think it's a political thing that happens, is where people look for a use, yeah, a political a justification. use, a justification, yeah. political use, and they say, well, it's ethical. I don't think it's got, I think it's got very little to do with ethics. And, uh, and I think people are quite surprised about, at that. Well, I mean, to do with salvation, which is a completely look, different science idea. Science can provide... Um, as best it can using the methods that we have developed over the last however many years, um, uh, uh, things that we find to be acceptable as objective facts. Right? They should be, and I say should be, and I stress should be, they should be neutral. They should be morally and ethically neutral. And I recognize that these things do not happen in a moral or ethical vacuum. However, in principle, knowledge is moral free. What? Oh, yeah, I don't agree with that either. That's just like, so you have a... So, <laughs> so someone comes to you, one of your <laughs> well, research... But this is okay, we, we, so we, someone we're comes never going to agree on this. Let's because, just have a look at this. Because because I, can I, I ask you objective a question? reality... So and, someone, and comes to, someone comes to you and say, I want to do an experiment about whether um, men are more ex uh, intelligent than women. Yes. Okay, so I want to do a whole Which series... Which has been done loads of times. Okay, let's, uh, whatever. So let's just... Uh, a whole, whole load of... Uh, whole load of you, think this is, you think that the results of this are going to be ethically neutral? Uh, <laughs> well, you're massively misrepresenting what I'm saying. The data is the data. They either are or they're not. So you think the either are or they're not is ethically neutral? No, I didn't say that. I said the data is I neutral. Think you did Isn't say that. Wouldn't a different example? Maybe well, well, wait a minute. Example. If the answer to that, that question is uh, women are less intelligent than men, 
Right? If that is the answer, if by every objective means we have at our, at our disposal, the answer is women are less intelligent than men by any measure of intelligence, which is an incredibly complex thing, yeah. and we don't have, we, we have some measures of in yeah. intelligence that are right, acceptable. Right. If the answer is women are less intelligent than men, is that true or not? No, the, my, 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 I'm not asking about the truth. We're not talking about the truth. Right. I'm saying to you, is that morally neutral? That's for us to t talk about. No, 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 but you said it... You said there all is an objective truth no, Adam, in the answer Adam, to that. So you said it is all objective truth is morally neutral. Okay. I'm saying to you, you've well, conducted that experiment, you've come to a conclusion, you're publishing your conclusion tomorrow in the newspapers. Do you think that the conclusion that you publish, one way or the other, is morally neutral? It is not morally neutral. Um, the data is morally neutral. Um, it has to be morally neutral. You, you, your eyes are, you're, you're, you've been punched too much. Your eyes are going over. You know it's not, you know it's not no, morally no, neutral, I have to, You I have, really don't. I have to remain, I have to remain faithful. Uh, I'm to, sorry, to I have to remain faithful. What does this sound like? <laughs> Blimey, what does this sound like? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> Shut up <laughs> I have to remain faithful to the objective uh, facts. This is a are... creed you're saying now. You know it's not true. You know that that is a political statement, whatever, and a moral statement. Whatever you do with it, it's morally valent. It hasn't. It is not All morally right. neutral. Right. Just for a second, let me accept what you've just said about it not being morally neutral and it is politically weighted. Um, I did have a point. Um, uh, are you suggesting that we either don't do that experiment? No. no. Or I've that we, uh, we sense the results? I know, I'm, I'm, I haven't got a view on those, and I, they're obviously very difficult questions. The, no, view well, the that question I'm, might be, that, is that, the answer knowable? So, so the, the, well, of course, that's another thing. But you're, trying, you're talking about these things that are A, knowable, everything's knowable, so there's an answer, and it's knowable, and you think it's just entirely neutral. That's just, it's just the so naive. It's so naive. To be fair, to be fair the data has saying, to be neutral or else to, it's not data. I'm gonna, it's opinion if it's not neutral. No, but, but he's, to be fair, he's saying the data is neutral, but I think your point is that the experiment itself might not be neutral. And that's what shifts, you know, culturally and socially we, the experiment you know, We is. know this, we know this from the history of science. The, you you well, brought up genetics at the beginning. The guy who created genetics, the guy in whose lab I worked, Francis Galton, he came up with what we regard as objective truths and objective facts to do with intelligence, to do with intelligence as it relates to race and heritability. His motivations for doing that were because he was a massive racist exactly. and a massive sexist. Does that mean that the, 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 the facts that he elucidated using um, sci the scientific method are, are, are they morally neutral? The motivation for doing it was not, but the data is neutral. Took a long time for that. That, that, was a, that was one of those question time ones where someone's thinking, <laughs> I'm really quite uncomfortable with no, that. Right, that's that's a clap, yeah. Has anyone got a nice, simple one that to maybe is a bit fun? Who's got a fun question? I'm going to take fun. You have, is this then? You've got the oh, fun question. She's like a climate change researcher, and it's not going to be fun. <laughs> Townsend. No, no pressure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a scientist. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to disagree with Adam in some ways, and I'm going to defend science, um, hopefully with a bit more clarity. Sorry, Adam. Um, <laughs> From you, I accept that. <laughs> um, I think there's been a lot of wooliness over this word knowledge and knowing, right? So information from science is evidence that either supports or doesn't support a particular hypothesis, right? A poem 
is knowing in a different sense of the word. A poem is not yeah. evidence for or against a hypothesis. Exactly right. And this thing of, um, you know, who's going to win a football match, that, again, is not evidence to support a particular... Well, all right, the hypothesis that Arsenal is good, whatever. But, you know, there are, <laughs> there are different forms of knowledge, and there's been yes. a lot of bandying around of knowing this and knowing that. The other way I'm, in which I'm going to disagree with Adam is um, I'm a Bayesian, so I think science is subjective. <laughs> so there we go. That's uh, my fun and, point. And the f until you said the bit about Bayes, then I was about to suggest that that's why Tamsin should be on stage with <laughs> me, but then she blew it with, with basic <laughs> statistics. No, because the decisions that, make, that scientists make every yeah, day exactly, are subjective. Course, yeah. And the statistical tests that you perform are I subjective. I question not to end with. Right, let's take the lady near the very, very back there. That, is that, a, that, that, that I applaud. Yes. Yeah, the lady with the glasses. Um, I was just wondering why in theology lectures you show porn. <laughs> that is, a that great is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. Thank you. Because I don't just teach uh, one of the problems that I have with theology and religion. Whoa! Okay, put it this way. In theology and religion lectures, um, I teach some songs, which is incredibly pornographic, um, very graphic. Um, but I also teach a new liberal arts programme and I teach a module called Body and Culture, which is all about uh, critiquing, getting students to critique Western cultural preferences by focusing on the body as a particular lens. And I do that particular degree programme, I teach a module on it, because I think it's really important to stretch beyond my own particular discipline, because my particular discipline pisses me off. Um, so that's why I show pornography. So I do stuff. I, you know, I do ISIS beheadings with them. I do um, the caricature. Do you show that stuff? Um, I'm showing them not stills. the video stills, and I'm researching the background mm. of the victim and blah blah blah. But um, but you know, I do other stuff. You know, so I'll do like you know the uses of the body in advertising and media, and we look at racism. You know, the social construction of racism. Um, you know, the idea of gender. But, but I do that because all of that stuff informs my research anyway, and, and it informs my research because what I research is religion, and religion is about people and what people do. Um, it's not what they believe. This idea about belief is, is bollocks. Um, it's about yeah, what people do, and really it's true. the sociality of people. Exactly and you can't right. understand the sociality of people without understanding how they relate to each other. And so for, in terms of contemporary context of the West and how the West views the non-West, and in terms of the stuff I do in ancient religions and ancient societies and how certain beliefs about gods and divine men and women, how they come about, it's so important to understand the sociality of what it is to be a person. And you can't understand that without the body. That's and that's why right. I teach it. I think I would probably disagree on whether the Song of Songs is pornographic or erotic. But that's another discussion. It's, um, it's written by a man and it's all about the male gaze. It's porn. But it's really nice. No, it's porn. <laughs> Okay, that is another discussion. But can I just say a couple of things? First of all, thank you so much to Giles, to Adam, to Francesca and to all of you for your questions.